Marjorie Blaine had nearly finished her two-year degree at the City College of San Francisco when the COVID-19 pandemic hit. Suddenly, classes moved online to an unfamiliar format to her, and her life was full of logistical hardships and financial ones, too. What I'm going to do with my two kids home, my job, losing my job and having to pass these classes so I can transfer to a four-year institution. And um, it brought so many challenges. She's a first-generation college student, and getting a degree has long been her dream. Suddenly, it felt like that dream might have to get put on hold. And then one short email came from the college she was planning to transfer to, San Francisco State University. And it helped her regain her academic footing. Its subject line read, our commitment to you. And it basically told Marjorie and the other students who got it, that the college did not plan to be super strict with things like admissions deadlines and technicalities, and and it would work with her to make sure she got there. The message was clear. Don't drop out. Hang in there. And that simple email of extending a deadline, telling your students, oh my God, you know, you can turn this transcript in this last minute made so much of a difference in my thinking because I was like, I got this. Even if I mess up, I will do my hardest. And if I mess up, I know I can redo it. And that was, that made a difference. So Marjorie stuck with it. And and she's set to start at San Francisco State in the fall. So get this, even in the midst of her own struggles, she's been talking to other students in similar situations and trying to convince them to hang in there. She's done that work as a senior fellow at a local nonprofit called Students Making a Change. So we began to brainstorm with our partners, what can we get? And we began giving out $25 gift card, Safeway gift card to all students that applied to our gift card um, thing when COVID-19 hit back in April. In case you didn't catch that, this, this nonprofit, it gave out gift cards that were good at a local grocery store after hearing in surveys that, that many students were having trouble paying their bills. Some had just lost their jobs since this was back when the economy was just shutting down. And the wonderful thing about that was my college saw that and they mimic our our, you know, our movement, our wanting to support students, and they began to give out their own gift cards and help out other students, which it was amazing to see that. These kinds of stories, they played out across the country in the spring, as colleges and support groups worked to avoid a mass of dropouts as a result of the pandemic. And of course, these issues have not gone away. With the fall looming, it looks like the same challenges are going to be there for students, and maybe more. So what is the best way to keep students on track academically in the COVID-19 era? What can colleges do to support their students during these unprecedented times? Hello and welcome to the EdSurge podcast, a weekly look at how education is changing. I'm Jeff Young, a reporter here at EdSurge. Today's episode was recorded live last month in front of an audience at Learning Man, a conference for college innovators hosted by Arizona State University. Let's be clear here, this was a virtual event, as just about every conference has to be right now, but it was a pleasure to join this big online gathering and and be part of it, thanks to the organizers for inviting us. So for our session, I was joined by two guests who shared their perspectives and and what they were doing to tackle the challenges. First was Mordecai Brownlee, Vice President of Student Success at St. Philip's College in San Antonio, Texas. I'm actually pleased to say that um, Dr. Brownlee is now a columnist for EdSurge, and he recently wrote an article for us about how colleges can close the digital divide in the COVID era. So he's been thinking a lot about retention issues these days. The other guest was Marjorie Blen, that student you heard from a minute ago. So stay tuned to hear more about her story and her activism and advice for college leaders. 
I started the session by asking Dr. Brownlee to give us some context and talk about what he sees as some of the new challenges for colleges around retention and completion in the pandemic. So, you know, it's such an interesting time. It's an unprecedented time, and we all are aware of that. Uh, when we think about uh, students remaining on their academic pathway, um, things just got even more complicated, right? We already had our various challenges that we were dealing with for some of those students. Uh, it was driven uh, economic in nature. Um, you know, COVID-19 has accelerated a bit of those challenges, right? Economics now uh, are at the top of everyone's minds, unemployment um, and opportunities thereof, and families are being impacted. And so it would be very interesting to see um, how our students will fare in this new COVID era of higher education. Uh, the, the other thing is, is, is when we just think about connectivity, uh, there's this assumption out there in the minds of some educators and, and others uh, that students have the resources, they have the means, they automatically should have the skill sets to be able to succeed uh, in a remote online environment. And there are some that that uh, that is a natural skill set for them. There are some that can afford uh, the connectivity, the Wi-Fi, the laptops, and all the, the accessories uh, needed of their particular program. However, that's not the case for every student, whether that be in higher education and certainly in K-12. And so we have to now do more work uh, on the front end to just ensure students' ability to be able to participate actively and engaged in their courses, that's the number one priority in regards to persistence right now. Now, obviously higher ed has a lot of different, you know, it's not one thing. And it seems like this may play out differently at different types of institutions. Um, where do you see some of the particular challenges maybe? You know, well, so many of our big brand name institutions, right, thinking about our land grant, our research, our tier one institutions, um, uh, you know, a large part of the attractive nature of those institutions from an enrollment standpoint, not only was the brand, but it was a bit of the, the culture that students were able to experience face to face on site um, and, and the networking that occurred and the, the enlightenment, uh, opportunities of enlightenment that occurred. Uh, um, intentionally and unintentionally, just being in a residential um, environment, just being able to attend student events. This is not to say that those weren't um, uh, great opportunities of resource and learning for non-brand name, if you will, big brand name institutions. But you know, students were drawn to those uh, institutions because of the experience that they were able to 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 have and gain on those campuses. Now. That, that is not necessarily the opportunity that's going to be afforded nationwide um, to students and, and their parents or loved ones are going to be a bit concerned about them traveling uh, across country now to attend those institutions in this environment of the unknown. And so certainly our four-year partners are really experiencing that from a community college standpoint. A lot of our community colleges are positioned in metropolitan areas, including rural areas, all areas that are being impacted in some form or fashion economically, right? And so while there is expected, uh, based on the predicament thereof, and I work at a community college, of, of rather than changing the narrative between a gap year and changing that to be a community college year, um, we shall see, right? It's certainly economically going to be more friendly for a lot of families, uh, yet some of our students will still battle with the lack of connectivity, the lack of my sense uh, of attachment and integration with my college community by means of computer. 
and colleges and universities are going to have to figure out how to bridge that gap. So if you if you mention the you know the the what the college experience really is, I think there's there's so many ways in which you know some people kind of have kind of contradictory thoughts about it. I kind of feel like because on one level people close their eyes and picture this you know quad with people playing the frizz throwing frisbees or you know and and then go into this leafy campus but in other times people are very much like i need to get a job and and thinking more like the getting something out of college that it's gonna you know get get something on a career track those are very different those are two very different things if you think about it both you know it's hard to you know they're both important and there's the question of, you know, the kinds of things that happen in person that colleges, you know, sometimes they don't even talk about it, but I think we assume like helping people become better citizens and and, and be in a diverse environment um, so that people can kind of model a, a life beyond just the job. And I guess, is there, is there, a, what do you see in this um if things are online more, or even if people are back on campus, it's going to be a very different experience. Are you worried at all about, you know, what, what, what might a, you know, kind of in a way there's, I feel like there's like retention of like dropping out or not, but there's also just like, okay, maybe you stay in college, but, but you might still not be getting the same full experience, even if you end up getting the diploma. Do you, do you have any concerns around that? Oh, absolutely. You know, any time a student ever asks me, what is the purpose of college? Why, you know, what happens at college? And, and I have uh, my personal beliefs. Uh, we have several educators that have joined us on today. And, and thank you all for joining us. My personal beliefs as to why uh, uh, individuals should choose colleges, because I believe that's where you discover your truths. It's, it's this reality where, you know, up until this higher education environment in itself, uh, students have adapted to the ideologies of their immediate circles. They're in a lot of cases, their their immediate families, their their political views, religious views, economic views, societal views are based around the environments that they have been exposed to leading up to this point in college in a lot of cases. So when a student quote unquote goes off to college, they're taking these realities with them and they're now in a new environment where they, they are allowed to to find conflict with these viewpoints and learn other viewpoints and, and other lifestyles and be exposed in some cases to the very first time to these viewpoints and these ideas. And then within that, they began to carve and shape and, and refine. And you think about that from a traditional four-year standpoint and even add graduate school to that. And that's the reason why so many individuals are transformed by the traditional sense of going off to college. There's learning occurring no matter where you are. You can be in the cafeteria and just observing, or you could be at the cafe, or you could be you know, in a residential environment, or you can, you can be in an experiential learning environment. And so you're learning always in these environments. Well, now we try to figure out how to translate that to online. And how are we gonna do that? By Zoom breakout rooms, right? And so it, it gets a bit challenging in terms of how we're going to pull that off and and it takes a lot of intentionality for institutions to create these engagements for students experiential learning is another one of those topics that has to be at the forefront of every educator's mind because um, i think Lucian just recently ran a survey uh, trying to get a sense of how students have recently been tracking on 
their ideas from Generation Z in comparison to millennials in comparison to Generation X as to their um, confidence level with the majors of selection, the major that they have selected their field of study. And so you have students that have chosen a major of study and they may not really be in love with it or really believe that that may become their career path. Well, now in this remote environment, we have to create learning opportunities to help students hone in and either further that confidence in their selection of major, or we're going to have to help them with the refinement process of, well, maybe healthcare isn't for me because I don't like blood. We need to begin to have those discoveries to help students along the way because as research shows, our failure to be able to align them and begin to build strength and, and refinement from their realities and their, their, their desires with the realizations of what the industry may provide them, they in themselves will then stop out and there goes another persistence issue. So the more exposures, the more opportunities we can create for online engagements and do our best to hone, recreate, creating uh, network opportunities amongst student leaders, amongst the students and their institutions to really bring in that sense of community or help with the persistence um, challenge that's in front of us in this new era. I, we're going to come back to you and, and dig into that in a minute, but I want to I want to get to Marjorie too and and let um, listeners hear from her. So, Marjorie, you're a student at City College, and you're in San Francisco area. Um, can you, I guess, just tell us a little bit first about your um, your perspective on um, the challenges that you know? I know you you and maybe other students are facing right now in this, you know, crazy time where we're in. Um, and th- thank you again for joining us. I, say, I think you may even be in a car. I mean, the, the, ability, the, 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 the fact that you're taking time to join us is, is a great gift. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for reminding me. Well, I'm in the car because I have two kids and, um, as you know, privacy is very important right now, <laughs> but, um, COVID-19 has definitely impacted us um students in san francisco because it kind of just hit us out of nowhere we didn't have a plan we didn't have a you know the teachers didn't have some of my teachers don't like online learning for me personally i saw it about what i'm gonna do with my two kids home my job losing my job and having to pass these classes so i can transfer to a four-year institution and um it brought so many challenges it brought um you know it, the news wasn't it making any better. I was worrying about whether we were going to have a job the next month, where we were going to pay rent. How do I pass these classes? Some of my teachers, like I said, did not, didn't do well with online. They, they were really like, I'm not going to do this, you know, and it was really hard for them. And I empathize for them because online is not for everybody, even for some educators, you know, and as far as a student, a million of things went through my mind and I panicked. Honestly, I panicked because I was like, what is my education going to look like? It took me forever to come back and return to community college to transfer to a four-year college. And now that I'm at the end to transfer, you know, I have to tough it out. And it was very difficult. It was very, I had a lot of moments where I'm like, should I just drop my classes? Should I just, I got accepted to three CSUs and two, three UCs. And I was like, maybe this is not the time. Maybe I should just not do it at this moment. But I pushed through and I was able to do it, you know, and of course, community is very important. Some of my teachers excel. They did amazingly. They're like, we're going to where it's not the same thing as being in person. So I'm not going to require you to have the same attention 
to the materials as it is being at home because you have two kids then you know they I adapted and they were able to help me in that community that my teachers were able to do at San Francisco was very important and essential for me to graduate and pass on to the next level thank you yeah and honestly I was uh when we talked before it seems like little things made a big difference from is for instance your I think you got an email at some point from where you're transferring into San Francisco State I believe that you got an email from them could you tell us about that yeah so um while I was you know it was a day by day week by week thing because of the numbers of the cases of COVID-19 and I was like I don't know if I can do this and my earlier San Francisco State sent an email and said to all of our transfer students don't worry, we're going to give you extension. We're going to let you make up at least one of the classes during the fall if you want to do dual enrollment. If you are missing something, we're going to extend it all the way to the max. And I must say, in California, most of the school did that. UC Merced did that. Santa Cruz did that, you know, where they went ahead and, and tried to push the limit all the way to where they could to for admissions. And that made me feel better. And I was like, okay, if I don't pass one of these classes, I know I can do dual enrollment at, at, you know, in SF State and my community college and be able to pass that class the next time around. And I'll be more prepared because I'll have the summer to prepare. And that simple email of extending a deadline, extend, telling your students, oh my God, you know, you can turn this transcript in this last minute made so much of a difference in my thinking. Cause I was like, I got this. Even if I mess up, I will do my hardest. And if I mess up, I know I can redo it. And that was that made a difference. Meanwhile, you're also in a position where you're working to help other students do that as well. Can you can you tell tell a little bit about your work at students making a change? First off, like what is your connection with them? So I'm a senior fellow and I am um, basically our little nonprofit is based on trying to break systemic barriers for black and brown students. Um, we do advocacy and, you know, locally and statewide. Um, but that changed once COVID-19 hit because um, we started seeing how students started to panic like myself. And then they began to call me and say, hey, how do I drop my classes? Hey, I can't do this. So our little nonprofit changed the vision that we had and we became a direct service nonprofit, which we never done ever. We always been about advocacy um, in different levels, but we began working on how do we get students resources? How do we get them food? How do we get them Chromebooks? How do we get them hotspot? How do we get them connection to resources on our campus? If they do want to drop, which I will spend 20 minutes with a student when they will call me to say, I really want to drop because um, City College gave an EW, an excuse withdrawal that wasn't going to affect your transcript. I will try to convince them to stick it out and say, no, you need to finish this. Please try whatever it is that you need. We will try to be that bridge for you, for you to end this semester Grateful, especially for those students that were transferring out and were graduating the class of 2020. So we began to brainstorm the needs and we did various surveys. We did them online on Instagram, on our little um, student hub. We did them a Google form where we asked students, what are your needs? And basically they had four needs, technology, which was a computer, hotspot, cash, and food. I'm gonna jump in real quick because she went through that so fast. Their surveys of students showed four main needs. Tech, meaning a computer. Wireless, meaning a hotspot. Cash and food. 
those were the three main, uh, the, all the four main things that we're asking. So we began to brainstorm with our partners, what can we get? And we began giving out $25 gift card, Safeway gift card to all students that applied to our gift card. Uh, we didn't know how to do it. We didn't, I said, we're just regular students trying to make it through. We did not know what to do, how to do it. We just brainstormed every way we could and say, how can we get this money fast to students and be able to support them during this pandemic? And we began, with, we started with our Google form. We started reviewing application and we started mailing them, you know, the safest way we could um, for our staff and for them too. Wow. So you just basically saw this need and just were trying to get something to grassroots happen right away. Yes. So our students came out with a the plan. They came out with the strategy and they came out with the outreaching. And I personally reached out to my partners and I was like, who can give me some money for these students? And one of the wonderful partners um, at the county was say, we're going to connect you with Moms Against Poverty. And we're, they gave us $7,500 and we distributed all that to food cars to all community colleges to help out during those two weeks of main shutdown that everybody was panicking on. Now, and I hear you're also working, looking at other ways to help students and encourage them to stay in. Could you talk about that? So we gave out a grant. Um, so I was able to um, get a grant from the city of the county in San Francisco for 300000 for our students. And basically what the grant was cash grant. Um, we are giving out $500, but we did made it. Um, very intentional. So basically it was for our spring 2020 students and our fall 2020 students. So in order for students to qualify for a $500 grant, they must register for the fall at City College in San Francisco. We're not part of the institution. No, we know the enrollment numbers or anything, but we do know that a lot of people are really contemplating not going back to college. So what we did, we tied the money to enrollment and we also tied it to what happened to you on the spring and your needs. And Right now, we're still currently giving out the grant. We're still working on it. We're still checking application. We're still reviewing everything. We worked with resource centers and retention centers as far as giving them the flyer and then re referring their students. They And that helped out a lot, you know, and we have wonderful people at the college that helped us to share our information regarding our grant. And a lot of students write all you know all these stories that i just want to help every single one of them but unfortunately i can't because the money is going to run out really fast but we were intentional as far as what we one what resources can we connect you at the college this coming fall and two you must be registered at least five units in order to qualify for this money so it's 500 dollars. it's basically it sounds like marjorie you're in a position now where you're basically trying to keep your studies on track get your life together but also you're reviewing applications for other people for these for these grants that your group is giving out yes we're going to open this up to questions in just a minute um but first dr brownlee could you um say what sort of any advice you have about two colleges about how they can you know what what can they do what are some things that that people can do um in a very practical sense like marjorie's group is doing to help you know, help be there for people and, and fill in these gaps that are emerging. Absolutely. And Marjorie, I just, I definitely want to give you kudos. I mean, the work that you and your team are doing is just absolutely amazing, right? It's because of students like you all who, 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 who are able to begin to be the difference, be the change that our society greatly needs. Just 
kudos to you uh, and all the work that you all are doing and will continue to do amazing, amazing, amazing work. So I will answer your question, Jeff, but I had to say that. Um, now, with that said, so in terms of some things for our educators to keep in mind, number one, we more than ever now are going to have to take a remove barriers approach, right? Um, you know, there's some work that's been happening nationally for quite some time. Certain groups like Achieving the Dream have been on the forefront of doing this work at the two-year level. There have been other entities that have done a bit of this work, like the Hope Center, Hope Labs, those that are familiar with that work, where they began to look at uh, certain issues that have proven to be barriers for students in terms of their livelihoods when it comes to uh, financial stability and housing insecurity and homelessness. And so, um, you know, more than ever, institutions are going to have to take a look at its systems and ask itself, is, it, is, is there any possible way that what we have now considered to be a norm will prove to be a barrier to students, right? Thinking just even down to the onboarding, the response times, even as faculty, because I teach as well, you know, if, if, if my response time, I was used to a particular time frame and responding to students, well, that can actually now turn into a barrier more than ever for students. Why? Because as we talk about building connections with our students as faculty, as staff, as administrators, then, you know, if that student is at a very crucial point in needing to feel that sense of security in a new environment, new learning environment, yet they can't get a hold of me, now I've just created another barrier. Now I have just been a part of creating doubt within that student's mind in terms of their ability to persist and to make it through these uncertain times, right? Advocacy, we heard Ms. Blinn talking about that, and I hope I'm saying your name correctly, Marjorie, but we just heard her speak about uh, what's happening on the advocacy forefront, right? It's so much more than just the feel-good stories. It's essential. It's essential. People are, our students are doing their absolute best to fight in these times uh, for their livelihoods and the continuance of their dreams. Uh, we can't forget about the first time and college students coming in as high school freshmen that will be joining, excuse me, college freshmen that will be joining us from high school um, uh, in this new COVID era of uh, environment may not have the resources that they need uh, the certain supports in place. I mean, they're just really being caught in the midst of this, what all is going on um, in the midst of COVID. Also, we've got to think about the other support system areas really quickly. Uh, and I want to touch on mental health, right? More than ever, we need to make sure that our institutions are prepared to support our students uh, through mentorship, through mental health, through financial support services. CARES Act has done one bit of that infusion. However, long-term support uh, opportunities through foundations, through local giving, students uh, like Marjorie who are out there being the difference is, is huge. Also, you heard Marjorie talk about dynamic processes, right? So we've been so used to having these, these, these hard deadlines. It has to happen this way. Well, students are doing the absolute best that they can, right? The institutions themselves need to be understanding that students are fighting to thrive in this very uncertain time. So have dynamic processes that would allow students to perhaps maybe miss a deadline. They couldn't get the form to you. Why? Because I didn't have a means to print or I didn't have a means to do X, Y, and Z. So let's work with students in that regard and make shifts and changes to the academic calendar as necessary. OER, Open Educational Resources, is also going to be huge during this time. Again, removing those barriers. And um, that's essentially what I've got there. So just, again, the work, the passion, let's do what we can as educators to support our students in these very uncertain times. Thank you. No, those are, that, that's wonderful. So, um, Marjorie, I wanted to ask you as well about student voice. I mean, you are making your voice heard. You're doing, you know, with your actions, 
um, there in, in California. But I wonder, do you, do you have any advice for college leaders or folks in this space to making sure students are being heard? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I do. I mean, we all have to do our best, you know, and I'm very equity minded person. So meeting the students where they at, not everyone is at the same level. We all have like, for example, I go in a classroom. You will never know that I have two kids at home that I am working up two jobs, you know, so to just get to know them a little bit more during the semester and try to be flexible and understand that they're trying it might not show and reflect it, but trying to get to the root of things. As a college, I think we should become a community. Schools is our communities, and um, the community is only going to thrive if we help one another. And while we live in very divisive times right now, I think that education should not be divisive. I think education is what unites people. It should keep us all saying, you know, I, education is for everyone, and we're going to help you. These are really hard times. It's a, you know times we've never seen before, we never deal with. So don't be afraid of think outside the box because it's not um, traditional times. You know, you can't, traditional ways are not going to work in this non-traditional time. So don't be afraid to ask your colleague, maybe we should do this. Maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we should. And just brainstorm the best you can because there is no right or wrong answer. All we can do is, I love all my teachers. All my teachers are wonderful. They all work with me. Even the ones that had really hard time with online, I still think they try very hard and you know, your students are going to understand if you're not very good at line, online because some of us are not good online. So just try to take away all those barriers and say, well, what can I do as a teacher to help out? You know, we've had a lot to chew on. There's this thought of of starting out of the context of like, what even is college and how it's multifaceted. And so that means when it's shifted online, there's so much that needs to be done to to try to make whatever is done online or or temporarily kind of patched together to 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 give all those different aspects whether it's the academics community um you know all these other things that sustain what it is to be a student at a college and then at the same time um you know basically doing retention is really at the heart of of all the things that that end up happening because if you end up just you know focus too much on only academics then you have that chance of people, you know, not being engaged enough through the community to really persist. But at the same time, even if you have great academics or great community, you still have to have these economic realities met, the needs met. Um, Marjorie, I think your four kind of like your your thoughts about like, you know, there's there's the need of like the money, logistics, the, you know, all of these different things that are just very much like human needs. And suddenly there's this um huge challenge for higher education and for faculty, administrators, students working together to try to overcome in this unprecedented time. So I, I, I just, I, there's plenty to, to think about. And I think it's a challenge to everybody to go back to their institutions and think about how they could start something like what Marjorie's done or think about um, the kinds of things that Dr. Brownlee has suggested on, uh, you know, patching the digital divide, thinking about community. So, um, it's 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 one of those things we're going to follow during the fall but thank you to everybody and if you have any final comments i guess um is there any kind of um you know if you had uh, one thing to say to students coming in to encourage them as they head into the fall what would that be um 
uh, maybe start with you, Marjorie. If you are a student out there, let me tell you, I am with you. It's been really difficult. It's been real, but your education it is valuable. Your teachers will be there. Your community will be there. We will get to this through this together. Um, it's not. It's not about you know if you're good or bad. It is just trying time and don't be afraid to fail because failure is not bad it's a learning experience you win because you learn how to do things better the next time around and i hope colleges um and teachers tell that to their students during this really difficult times and i would just want to say good luck guys because i'm in the same boat as you guys mordecai how about you we will all come out of this better uh, let's continue to uh, support one another educators let's continue to support our students uh, let's be sure to remove all barriers uh, that are possible um, and let's continue to close that gap on equity. During this time, it's, it's such a scary time because all the work that has been done leading up to this time in regards to the work of uh, diversity and equity more than anything is, is now a bit at stake as we've got, we've, we have to work as close, as, as quick as possible to close those gaps, ensure our students have the resources and support that they need, no matter who they are, uh, so they can see their dreams. Right. Thanks once again to everybody. And and please, we'll be following this. Uh, we'll be following what happens in the fall on our podcast um, and at EdSurge. So you can find the EdSurge podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. EdSurge.com is our site. Thank you, everybody, once again. And um, best of luck to everybody. Stay, stay safe and stay healthy and um, keep it going. Thank you.